0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: As we turn a corner here, we're going to spend some time going a bit deeper, wandering into the the proverbial deep end of the pool, as it would be. And, you know, if you were a kid, and I, I certainly kind of learned how to somewhat swim this way, you know, that dad would kind of push you into deeper territory you know where you you, you knew that you had to kind of put some effort in there was a sense of vulnerability that you had it was sometimes a bit scary because you knew that your toes could no longer quite touch the bottom of the pool and still hold your nose up over the top of the water Uh, but it was a growing experience and as you learned to trust yourself And your training, you were willing to venture out a little farther and a little farther, and before you knew it, you were actually swimming in the deep end of the pool. All of that, of course, takes that sense of, um, I think, vulnerability, and the ideal, I think, comparison can be said, too, of our relationship with God. It is true to be sure that uh, God, in fact, pursues us and does so with tremendous uh, vigor and passion, uh, and yet... um, He calls upon us to pursue Him as well, and uh, the wonderful rewards to he or she who is willing to pursue God, uh, to have that David-style heart after God, to wish to go deeper in one's relationship with the Lord, uh, even if it calls upon us to become more vulnerable as we do so. Ken Young has written a new book called Go Deeper, Encountering God's Passion, he is Pastor of Spiritual Formation at Bridges Community Church in Fremont. And Ken, welcome. Thanks for having me. First venture into uh, writing a book for you?
2: More in a public way, but I mean, I've been writing for 10 years, you know, with more like church publications, but this is the more first official publication, yeah.
1: Academics is your background. You've worked as a teacher, both uh, domestically and overseas, as we were chatting a bit off the air here. Um to then translate some of that uh, intellectual understanding into helping people theologically go deeper with the Lord, uh, tell me a bit about the vision for the book and what you hope the reader to experience.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, like many of the listeners out there, perhaps, um, I've been, you know, working in small groups, discipleship relationships for 10, 15, 20 years. And as I look, took a step back, I was thinking more about if I could do this differently— how would I, in fact, disciple people now, today in the year 2013, 2014. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that maybe some of the things that I've done in the past were not bad per se, but I wanted people to experience God in a different way. I wanted them to be excited about Scripture. And so this idea of what I call story theology in the book, I really believe God gave that to me. It's not because I've invented it. It's more like... The Bible is full of narratives. It's full of stories. And as I read these stories, I saw myself like Moses, like Naomi, like Elijah. And as I started to study these stories, I realized, wait, although these stories are about me and you and others, ultimately, these stories are about God. And it just liberated me from a, a almost a egocentric view of Scripture, and it brought it more to a theocentric that these narratives and stories are really ultimately about God. And it helped me to say it's ultimately about him and his glory. So less of the sort of
1: casual detachment and rather than seeing ourselves uh, from the spectator role to more of a participant role.
2: Right. That's a good point you make, Greg, because in the book, um, as people read it, I actually use all these different ways of literature and narrative to throw ourselves, to put ourselves into the story. I often tell people like, well, I'm not saying that Joseph said this, but here's are some thoughts that he might have. Or when Mephibosheth comes back into the palace, I say very clearly, now these words aren't in Scripture, but here are some thoughts that Mephibosheth might have been struggling with as he's entering the palace. This could have been all mine. This was my grandfather's place. Is David going to kill me here? So I do that as a literary device to help people get into the narrative, get into Scripture, and sense and feel the spiritual journey that leads to God.
1: You've had a chance, as we mentioned, to do some traveling, teaching overseas, living, working overseas. Um, as you look at sort of the big picture of what's going on within the kingdom of God, is this a common problem that there is a good percentage of those that name Jesus as Lord and Savior that that are more engaged in sort of the uh, the spectator side of Christianity? It's something we do. We show up to church on Sundays. We we've got the well worn Bible that we thumb through uh, Sunday mornings, but kind of set aside the rest of the week. That that uh, Christianity is perhaps not as as it needs to be for
2: us? That's a good point. I mean, it's hard to always make comments uh, you know, across the, the board, of course, but I think in general, we do have a consumer mentality. Um, we, t- we tend to market our religion. We market our Christianities, I want to say, in different parts of the world, um, on purpose or not. That tends to be the case. And that's why the gospel is so important, though, right? The gospel liberates us from that consumer mentality. And I think when I try to relate it back to the book, you know, when we think about um, different cultures, you talked about different countries and nations I've had to travel and get to visit. And I think of multi-ethnic discipleship, multi-ethnic formation. Um, I think of narratives and stories. And, of course, Christ told parables himself. Certainly. So when I think of discipleship and spiritual formation, I think of multi-ethnic formation, multi-ethnic Discipleship, And I think that's why stories play such an important part. We're in the West, we're torn to be more systematic mm-hmm. theology, and nothing's wrong with that. But I think this narrative and story theology gives it a little balance as we disciple, mentor, and help people know the Lord. Does it tend to more readily draw people in? I think so. That's been my experience. Um, Again, we're not here to disparage any way of studying theology. I mean, if you go to my library, I have all the classic systematic theologies that, you know, are long and big and have been nothing but helpful for me to understand theology. I love it. But at the same time, what I've tried to do with this book is just put us into the narrative. So when we think of God's holiness, instead of, you know, five or six different areas of holiness which again nothing is wrong with that I want us to remember that story about Moses and where God says take off those sandals you're standing on holy ground and I want us to feel and experience what Moses must have felt like and the idea that God has called his people to worship him and that's what holiness is all about as well
1: so really, then, the difference between sort of looking into Scripture versus being drawn into Scripture. I mean, we typically look at the Bible as as a narrative that tells us about God, of by whom we learn God's character, God's passion, um, and yet seldom do we see ourselves in the characters in the Scripture. Where well, all of a sudden now, this is both about seeing God in Scripture, but also seeing myself. Absolutely. In scripture, and then in doing so, being able to perhaps better relate through the eyes of a Moses or a David, whoever the character might be, to gain a deeper, better understanding of who this God is, why he so passionately pursues me, and why he is desirous of going deeper in the relationship with me.
2: Exactly. And I, I often say that we were in the garden, we were in Canaan, we were in the wilderness. Those are experiences that happen literally and historically to certain people. Absolutely. But you and I are like David. And when we fight the Goliaths of our lives, yes, it's about courage. Absolutely. Yes, it's about trusting God in the midst of our giants. I'm not trying to take away from that. But really, it's about proclaiming and defending God's majesty. That's what that narrative is about. You know, it's about God's majesty. And David will not stand for this giant of a man. And so I think we tend to read things differently. And I want people to see David is a third person historical figure, but we are like David in the journey and we are like David in the destination. And ultimately, we are like David because he is there to proclaim God's majesty. So that that theocentric Mm -hmm. emphasis again of what I'm trying to bring out in these narratives.
1: If you've just joined our conversation tonight, uh, Pastor Ken Jung is with us tonight in studio talking about his new book, Go Deeper, Encountering God's Passion. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues here on KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Carl Jung is with us tonight. We are talking. Carl, I I know I was going to eventually do that I I do look
2: Swedish. I know. I haven't spoken my Cantonese or Mandarin. Somebody um. stopped me in the
1: hallway today and said, so who's your guest on the show tonight? And I said, Carl Jung is going to be on. And he paused for a minute. You mean the philosopher? Isn't he dead? <laughs> Very much so. So my uh, my apologies. I knew that Freudian slip would eventually uh, come out. Ken is with there us tonight. There you Thank and you. His new All book good. is called Go Deeper, God's Encountering God's Passion. And um, there is that sense of, I, I mentioned earlier, vulnerability, isn't there? Um, when we're going deeper with God, we think about discovering more about Him. But then there's sometimes, I think, the fear that, well, gee... God might also discover something about me yeah. in the process. Maybe yeah. a part of me that I don't quite feel ready to reveal to him.
2: I think that's a good point. It's it's one of those, um, you feel like it's a two-pronged, like it's good if I do, if I, it's good if I don't. On the one hand, the more vulnerable I am with God, he does see, but he knows this anyways, right? That's right. But we forget he that point, sees <laughs> my... Figuratively speaking, he just sees my brokenness, my nakedness before him. And our tendency is to be like Adam and Eve. We want to get to something and hide. Mm-hmm. and just. But I think at the same time, God says, you know, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. And I know what you're becoming. And that's the whole beautiful picture of the gospel that says you're never going to be good enough. Trust me with your vulnerability. I've sent my Christ. I mean, God in human flesh, how much more vulnerable can God become, right? Born in a manger and just that humility. And I think our vulnerability is matched equally and even more so with God's invulnerability in the incarnation, Christ becoming man.
1: Part of it, perhaps then, an inherent sense of of risk As we go into the deeper end of the pool, so to speak, we're we're kind of venturing out on faith. We don't quite know what to expect or what's going to happen, but that's really the adventure in our relationship with God, isn't it? When When we get to the end of ourselves and the beginning of Him, the greater that we surrender ourselves to Him. And to trusting him and knowing that, yeah, on the the other end of the pool that I can't quite see from here or I can't look down and see my toes touch the bottom of the concrete floor of the pool uh, puts me into a position where I have to, for my very survival depend more and more upon him. And ironically, that's exactly the place where he wants us to be.
2: Right. It's kind of like you said in the beginning. um, You're swimming laps in the pool. And maybe in the beginning, you're dog paddling. And you feel like you can't reach the other side. But by actually pursuing that and persevering in that, you realize... You're being sustained. Mm-hmm. It's really a, a good picture of what God does for us. I think, I often talk to my friends about this and those who I share with. I look at ourselves sometimes in a cave, Craig, and those out there, I, I and I see ourselves stumbling, cutting our knees, cutting our hands. And some of us would like to say, why doesn't God just show us the way out of the cave? But like you said correctly, he calls us to walk by faith. And I think sometimes we just see a foot or two in front of us. And I think... Although that means we hurt ourselves sometimes, we bump our heads, we get bruises. That's the most beautiful thing about the journey—that God is developing our muscles of faith—and that's really what these stories are about too. Is just these people are so human. Um, Elijah is my fav- one of my favorite characters, and that he's just like he's like all of us. He's weak, he's strong. He has that Mount Carmel experience, but then he's afraid of you know Jezebel. He's, he's so weak in the desert. He, he's so weak, and yet. God says, I'll speak to you in a gentle whisper. And, and I think that's what it's really about. The mystery of God, and yet the mystery of the incarnation reveals God.
1: Is it the difference as, as you're encouraging and walking the reader through the pages of Go Deeper, um, the difference between the knowledge of God versus knowing God? A lot of people have knowledge of God. Right. Uh, we know people that can quote chapter and verse off the top of their head and you listen to them and think now here is someone who has uh, tremendous knowledge of God but then does it that kind of fall short of answering the question yes but do they
2: know God. Right, that's a good point. I mean, J.R. Packer, in a book many of the listeners probably have read before, a classic on God's attributes, you know, he often talks about this too, as well. But knowing in Scripture is not just the head knowledge, it's actually the experience, it's the personal relationship. In fact, in the Bible, it talks about God's face, not his literal face, but the idea of seeing God's face sometimes is a form of spiritual. Intimacy, And I think mm-hmm. that's the point you're trying to get at, that we do need some knowledge of God. Absolutely. We have to have some knowledge of God. But knowing God is really more like walking along with a friend on a journey, ups and downs, a lot of pitfalls. Again, you're going to get hurt, but it's really encountering God who is, and I mean, I say this in a funny way, but who's in hot pursuit of us. And he wants intimacy and he wants transformation,
1: And it really describes what it means to be in relationship. I mean, uh, you can share with us tonight about your your wife and your two boys, and you can tell us what your wife looks like and how tall she is and how she parts her hair and all of those details. And we can come back later and say, oh, yes, we, we, we know about Ken's wife. We have knowledge of Ken's wife based on what we've heard. But yet, we would not be able to say that we know her as you know her.
2: Right. And I think that's what we're trying to say with Go Deeper as well, that these experiences of Moses and Elijah and Mephib- Mephibosheth and all these different characters, and there's hundreds of more we could talk about, but these characters had a what I call a real experience of God. They were theological experiences of God, and they were what I call transforming experiences of God. And those experiences formed their theology or what you and I may say and get a book, and here's theology. And then and we take a class in college or seminary or Sunday school, and that's theology. But a lot of that theology was born out of an experience of God. And so their experience of God helped form their theology of who God is. And so that's that knowing and experience, that encounter that we have. Well, and
1: that experience is really, at the core, that indicative of relationship, isn't it? I mean, we, we can't really claim to have a relationship with someone unless we know them or have experienced them. And maybe that's one of the big challenges facing a lot of us in the church these days, that we have knowledge of God. And yeah, we show up Sunday school and we dutifully take notes and we'll read through a passage of scripture now and then. We have knowledge of God, but do we really know Him? Have we experienced Him to say that we have relationship with Him? You look at some of the characters that you talk about inside the pages of Go Deeper, and the one thing that emerges is that these men and women um, have lived out their lives in a manner and fashion that is demonstrative of the fact that they have experienced God and having experienced, have therefore been able to go to that next level, that deeper level in relationship with Him, that God desires all of us to be able to experience, doesn't And he? we've
2: tried to take examples that are everyday examples, right? So Naomi, for example, my goodness, she loses her husband. She loses her two sons. She's in Moab. She's not in Bethlehem, you know, and there's a famine. That's why they leave in the first place. But can, I mean, I, I, I can't fathom the the pain that she must have had. And so when she comes back, as most of our, some of our listeners probably know, she says, call me Mara, which means bitterness, her name actually, Naomi, means pleasant, but she's saying, God has given me this these experiences and don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. But notice she comes back to her spiritual community and it is in this spiritual community she finds peace, a chance to serve, and ultimately we know about Ruth and everything in the missing and the line of Jesus that comes to Ruth. And so I want to say that this God who is in pursuit of us for intimacy and transformation, this God pursues us even in our lowest, most hurtful, most broken times in our life. And that's the beautiful thing, because a lot of us are broken people. None of us have these nice narratives with, with a per, you know, a lot of us come from addictions. A lot of us have from brokenness. Our parents may have had a divorce or separation. Some of us have had abuse. And that's how these people of Scripture are. They come from just horrible backgrounds, some of them. And their experience are transformed because God is pursuing them.
1: I want to pause on that because there. when we come back after the break, go a little bit deeper in this because there are a lot of people listening right now that are in that valley experience. Oh, yeah, they've been to the mountaintop. They've enjoyed the plateaus when life is just kind of clicking along on all six cylinders. But then through maybe an event that's taken place in the family or at work or it might be a health concern, whatever it is, um, are in the valley and don't feel as if god is pursuing them and yet even in those moments you're suggesting god nevertheless still is in hot pursuit
2: yeah absolutely
1: and so then how do we how do we begin to recognize that how how do we pause in the middle of the pain that we're experiencing in life to acknowledge that God who is relentless in his pursuit of us wishes us to go deeper with him and as we go deeper to eventually then go higher to pull us out of that rut, out of that valley experience. Ken Jung is with us tonight. The book is called Go Deeper, Encountering God's Passion. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, welcome back to The Conversation. We're spending some time tonight going deeper. Uh, That, by the way, is the title of a new book, Go Deeper, Encountering God's Passion. Ken Jung is with us tonight in studio. Ken, by the way, is pastor of spiritual formation at Bridges Community Church in the city of Fremont. How long have you been at the church?
2: About three and a half years. Three and a
1: half years. And as we mentioned, you've literally traveled and lived all over the world. You spent uh, eight, ten years in Hong Kong. About eight years, yeah. Uh, How long were you studying in England?
2: Two years. Two years. Yeah. Started my PhD there, finished it in Southern California and Ithaca, another spot I've been to. But yeah. So it's cold in Ithaca today, I understand. Yeah, I think we're, I think my family's glad that we're yeah. here to be part of it. We York pay is, for the we pay for the weather here in Northern California, we say.
1: absolutely, absolutely. Um let's talk a bit about that, that sense of, of relentless pursuit of God as he is relentlessly pursuing us a lot of folks who started to say just before the break you get into those moments in life you feel your prayers don't go beyond the ceiling you wonder where where is god and yet even in all of that pain god continues to pursue us doesn't he absolutely
2: and i think you and nowhere are we saying take two of these and call us in the morning, and you know what? Your life's gonna be okay tomorrow. That's not what we're trying to say with spiritual formation. We're saying this is a long journey. This is a process where you take three steps forward, two steps back. This is where you go right, left, and backward, and you spin, you fall down. So, in no way are we trying to say, read the Bible, and you're gonna be okay. On the other hand, what we're saying is, when we encounter these real experiences, and stories in the scripture, we have Joseph who is just betrayed by his brothers, right? Um, In prison, and what did the scripture say in Genesis? The Lord was with Joseph. In fact, when you read that narrative, to me that's what stands out, that he's going through all these hard things, everyone's forgotten him. His brothers, we want to forget about him. Dad, because he thinks he's dead, he's forgotten about him. Potiphar, put him in prison. Potiphar's wife, uh, get this Hebrew slave out of here, right? even when he predicts some of these dreams that that person forgets about him but the scripture is very clear it says the Lord was with Joseph and again all these truths ultimately point to Christ Emmanuel God with us but the Lord was with Joseph and I think we're not suggesting in no way to those who are listening out there that your problems and their hurts that it's just going to go away but I want to encourage you and just say one regardless of where you are and maybe what Pain that you're in, what crisis you are experiencing, you can claim that truth from Scripture. You are like Joseph. You may not be imprisoned, but you are imprisoned by of habitual sin. You are imprisoned by bitterness. You are imprisoned by something else. But the truth of the matter here is that even when we don't feel it. God is with us. And so all these lessons kind of build on one another, For again, for those of you who are listening. So each character, we learn a little more about God. So there's Joseph, for example, but we also learn, like I said, about all these other characters. So we learn about Elijah and God's presence with Elijah, who he has these ups and these downs. We already mentioned Naomi. And one of my favorite characters is Mephibosheth, and He's in a place called Lodabar, which literally means no pasture. He's hiding out probably because David and his men perhaps might try to kill him. And he's in a place called no pasture. And yet David, because of his covenant with Jonathan, again, a a great picture of, of God's covenant with us. He says, come to my table. You're going to be like one of my sons and daughters. And so some of us are like Mephibosheth today. He was physically handicapped, dropped as a child. And yet he was a grandson of King Saul. He was, he's, he, you know, his dad was supposed to be king. And so he's living out in a place called Lodabar, no pasture. Just the opposite of what Psalm 23 teaches us. And yet, God pursues him. God pursues him in his pain, his rejection, and he brings him to the table. I think that's a great picture of God's grace. And that we are all children of God.
1: What's interesting, Ken, is you've, you've taken the time to search out in the pages of Go Deeper. Characters within scripture that are very complex, that are very multifaceted. You know, Maybe one of the big failures of sort of pop Christianity today, like pop culture, is they're very flat or very one-dimensional. Um, it, it doesn't take into consideration that sense of the ability to go deeper because it's just one-dimension. Uh, and yet, God is very multidimensional in His in His character. You know, we see played out through Scripture uh, a God who is very compassionate, very righteous, God focused on justice. So many different dimensions of God's character that then, as we can see ourselves through the characters in the passages of Scripture, begin to see. Um, a more rounded Christ as we see and encounter a more fully rounded whole is the better word, I think.
2: Right, and it's not static either, like um, maybe this is not everyone's experience but it's easy for me to say here's God and I list all his attributes, he's holy, he's sovereign and and he is, and I can read all those verses and I can approach it in in a more scientific way, kind of put God under a microscope, and then he becomes a little if I might use this category, static in my understanding, because I'm third person looking at God. But when I throw myself into these narratives and I see myself as a person of pain, like, you know, Mephibosheth or Naomi. Well, look even, for example,
1: can at the names of God. Right. And every name of God that in and of itself inherently describes a different aspect of the character of God. And then we can see... The different times in life that we interact with that dimension of God, so to speak. Exactly. Whether it's Jehovah Jireh, God the provider, God the comforter, God the protector, uh, God the judge. I mean, on and on the list goes of the names of God describing the character of God and all of these dimensions of God. God doesn't want us to know him single dimensionally, does he?
2: Right, at that particular time in our moment, though, maybe we... We need that We need dimension. that, right. Absolutely. So Joseph needed that yes. sovereignty. Yes. But as you know, as he learns about God's sovereignty, he also learns about God's mercy. Do
1: we do we fail to get to go deeper with God in our relationship with Him sometimes because we stop at one or another? We, we experience God in one fashion. We experience God the protector, but in no other fashion. And therefore, we end up having a, a one-dimensional relationship because we're seeing God one-dimensionally?
2: I think that's part of it. And I think another part of it is that Christianity, and not everyone will agree with this, of course, but Christianity is also about risk and adventure. When you look at these people in the scripture, like you said, I mean, they have gone through, they've been brought through the ringer, as we say. They've gone through a lot of brokenness and pain. And I think when we follow God, there's a lot of risk and adventure And as we follow God through these different risks and adventure, think of almost anybody in Scripture, they have risk and adventure. Absolutely. I mean, you can look at half the characters and say, God called, you want me to do what? Exactly. Go into the belly of the whale and do what? And that's where the transformation begins, I think, though. It's not when I play it safe, so to speak. It's like, as we said in the beginning, it's when I get on the top of that diving board and I'm really scared. And I jump off. When I feel like I can't swim that full lap when I'm only three or four or five years old, we learn that God's grace sustains us. Um, one of my favorite verses we talk about is, give us today our daily bread. And so if there are people out there listening today, you're driving or you're at home, and you're going through a hard time. I want you to know that we can claim that promise in Matthew that God's grace, he'll sustain you. And don't worry about tomorrow, but claim that promise Give us today your daily bread.
1: We'll take a time out, come back with some closing comments. Ken Jung is with us tonight in studio. Go deeper, encountering God's passion. Craig Roberts with you.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: With us tonight in studio, Pastor Ken Jung, the book, Go Deeper, Encountering God's Passion. We're talking a bit about that sense of God who is in relentless pursuit of us. How that oftentimes we tend to hide from him as he's pursuing us. A lot like Adam and Eve who kind of discover our nakedness and who no no God mustn't know this part of me or there's that fear factor, isn't there, that we we um we haven't quite come to fully experience him because we haven't come to fully trust him yet, have we?
2: Right, it's it's a relationship, obviously, and I think what Adam and Eve is what we felt. We want. I think our natural tendency is to run from God. Our natural tendency is, is to see our nakedness and say, "What is going on?" Or I'm a broken person. Or we're like Jonah sometimes. We know what the truth is. We God's asked us to do certain things, but we want to go in the direct opposite. So there's that vulnerability on the one hand, but on the other hand, sometimes it's just, to be honest, it's just blatant disobedience as well.
1: But that vulnerability, I mean, we were talking earlier about marriage relationship, Ken, that vulnerability is, is very necessary for intimacy to develop in a marriage relationship. And that's also true, isn't it, when it comes to our relationship with God, that, that in order for us to become more intimate with Him, we have to allow ourselves to be more vulnerable,
2: Right. And and although the book doesn't talk about that, I think the Psalms do a wonderful job about that. And they're so real. When you see David, for example, in Psalm 51, confessing his sin about his sin with Bathsheba, talking about his brokenness, being vulnerable. I mean, he's the king, right? He's the king of Israel. And yet the Bible says he has a man after God's heart. Why? Because when he was broken, he realized he needed to repent. And I think you're exactly right. That, that vulnerability, that almost... That fear. What is God going to do? We're kind of afraid. We're not yet there to trust Him yet. But we realize, as you said earlier, that as we learn to trust Him more, First John, perfect or mature love casts out all fear. all fear. Part of this is perhaps having to to sort of retrain
1: or rethink our 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 views on God. <coughs> Pardon me. I asked that question because. Uh, there are some of us that were raised in certain theological disciplines that see God as ready to pounce at any given moment, as the the big strict disciplinarian with a stick in the sky, uh, who was there to bring about corrective action the minute we uh, you know stray uh, you know one inch uh, from the proper course, and so uh, therefore we kind of cower in fear of God, requiring what that we sort of surrender some of those some of the false images or one-dimensional images that we've come to understand of God that really cuts us off from the totality of the of, of the wholeness of his character. I mean, yes, there is God who is to be feared. There is God, He's who, a holy God. who is a holy and righteous and pure God. Absolutely. Um, he was a God of righteousness and of judgment. Absolutely. But then we see the God who's caring for the lilies of the field and counted the numbers of hairs in my head and who... Cares so much about me that he was willing to sacrifice his only son on my behalf. That his son would pay my price because so God so passionately wants to walk in fellowship and relationship with me. His fallen creation. Wow! I mean, talk about two very complex dimensions of God. And yet sometimes we only we only see one dimension, and that that can stand in our way of that going deeper, can't it?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you have what theologians have called his transcendence. like He's so above and beyond. And the scriptures do say in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my way. And they're higher, you know, and we cannot comprehend God. He's infinite. And so that is all true. On the other hand, and I think obviously the incarnation with Jesus, God becoming human, right? Taking on human nature, right? That is the most humiliating in some sense, humble thing that this God can do to show I am ready to walk with you in fact I am ready to do miracles I'm ready to teach you I'm ready to serve you in fact I'm ready to die for for you you. Mm -hmm. and as I resurrected and conquered death for you notice it's all for us for Christ's followers I'm at the right hand of God and what am I doing I am praying for you Christ is our advocate. He is interceding for us. Everything that we have fear of, God has taken care of it, especially in Christ. And how that all works out is that as God pursues us, even though our natural tendency is to run... In Christ, we know we can find comfort, forgiveness, and peace. And that's what the gospel is all about.
1: So we really really need to kind of rethink uh, how we respond to that pursuit because you're right. I mean, when we're pursuing like, you know, the cop chasing the crook, the natural fallen nature tendency is to run. Um, very seldom on any cop show or does it play out in the streets of any city that the cop blows his whistle once and the individual turns around and you know puts the hands forward and says okay I surrender usually there's a bit of a struggle and that certainly is true in our relationship with God we are more inclined to flee than we are to surrender but yet it is in that surrendering that as God pursues us and we surrender to Him that He can that that process paul talked about working out of our of our salvation and that process of going deeper in that relationship
2: it's kind of like the i mean there's that parable that jesus talks about in luke the prodigal son or what i would call the prodigal sons i look at both sons as being prodigal in different ways um but it's the idea that when he comes back he wakes up and he realizes that he could be a servant in his father's place I mean, they throw a party for him. Yes, they do. Now, I know it's a picture of our salvation. I realize that. But the truth still remains that even for those who know Jesus can come back to God. And God's not there with this, you know, I'm ready to pounce on you. He's, he's ready to celebrate with
1: us. It's constantly about restoration, isn't it? Absolutely. It's constantly about restoration and that repeat message. And I think that we can gather much encouragement by that because this is a process. Absolutely. Um, We see Paul's life certainly demonstrative of that. We can capture a glimpse of a young, immature Saul on the road to Damascus. And then the more mature Paul later on is most notably the largest uh, author of the New Testament. Right. And we see that process being worked out. And the good news is that no matter how many times our failure, no matter how many times we don't get it, we don't connect, we fail to surrender, we, we flee instead of instead of surrender, that the restoration continues to be there. Um, God doesn't God's ability to forgive and to restore never
2: never run short does it absolutely not and that's because of Christ it's, and again I know that the book is not about what, the, what theologians have called Christology it's not a book about Jesus per se but throughout the book it, it all points to Jesus Christ and that's why we don't have to cower in the corner because God's wrath was poured out on Christ he became a sin offering for us 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that and that sin offering that while we were yet sinners
1: that sin offering took place on our behalf once and for all for all mankind and it's it really is pretty unfathomable when you try to wrap your mind around the breadth and depth of the grace of god and the restorative Power of God and the nature of God and how multi-dimensional God is, and I think that's what's encouraging about the job you've done in this book, Ken, is the fact that you take so many characters throughout Scripture, um, all of whom are coming at different experiences and 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 different issues of their character and and who they are and how they are engaging a different dimension of God, right to ultimately paint this big picture of this multifaceted, multidimensional God who is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving, all-forgiving, all-restoring. And I think it it, it gives hope to the reader to understand that as we are willing to be vulnerable and step out in faith and go beyond where it feels safe in our spiritual walk to a bit toward the deeper end to know that as we go deeper we will find him we will encounter him there
2: exactly and there's great mystery there it's kind of like if you're at a beach and maybe you go a little further you go a little there's a mystery going deeper and deeper out there and maybe the tide becomes stronger and etc cetera, etc cetera. but the point we're trying to make is like what you just said is that as we go deeper and there's more mystery there's more risk that's when we learn to trust God more as well. Yeah. It's not blindly. It's not a blind, just jump out of a building. It's the idea that my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul says, I will boast that the power of Christ dwells within
1: me. A great conversation, Ken. We appreciate you coming in. Great book. Folks want to get more information, by the way. Um, Ken's got a blog spot. You can go to RenewingEli.com. That's RenewingEli, E-L-I, E-L-I RenewingEli.com. You can find out more about the book there. Order a copy online as well. Um, he also serves at um, Bridges, as we say, Bridges Community Church in Fremont. Tell us a bit about that.
2: Oh, great. Um, yes yeah, so I've, as, as we said earlier, I've been there for three and, three and a half years, and um, it's an evangelical free church but it's called bridges because one of our, our our vision is to make disciples but not just any disciples disciples of nations and here in fremont we have this great opportunity to to, re- to reach people of First Gens. You want to reach the world for Christ, step out your front door. Absolutely. We don't longer. We can go out them, but we can just do it here as well. And so here at Bridges, the unique thing that I found here, one of the reasons why I wanted to come here, to be quite frank, I was in Ithaca, New York, not just because of the weather now, <laughs> although that's a good reason too. And being closer to family, those are good reasons. But when I did my research about Fremont, I looked at all the statistics and demographics and... And all the different ethnicities and nations represented in our city here. And not everyone is like that. I realize that. And I just thought this is a great opportunity for to make disciples literally of all nations. So here at Bridges, of course, we have an English service, but we also um, have a Mandarin service. We also have um, an Indian fellowship that meets in Telugu. And some of these are smaller than and bigger than other ones. Um, we used to host a Cantonese fellowship that has not that has now um, grown and multiplied into their own church as well. And so Bridges is there to make disciples, but really to think about how we can make disciples in Fremont because of our u- unique demographics. How can we reach first-gen services. And so ideally, we have a service in the language for the mom and dads. But for the kids, they're in our children's ministry. And for as they get older, we want them to be in our youth ministry as well. And so as they become acclimated in our Western culture, they get to go to a Western-style youth group. Mm-hmm. But mom and dad, who aren't as comfortable, they hear the gospel. They can sing in their own native language. Good stuff. Information, by the way, on the web at uh, Bridges
1: cc.org Ken Young thanks so much for dropping by